Welcome to episode 97 of the Daz and Daz NBA podcast. Uh, for our loyal fans out there, you might be wondering how we got to 97. There's been many, many great pods, Daz, uh, that haven't seen the light of day in the last few weeks. But uh, we, we've been enjoying the NBA season. We're back. A special uh, draft deadline pod here tonight for all our legions of fans, particularly those in Japan, which I know that uh, follow us very closely. Daz, yeah. uh, how are you feeling on this Friday night anyway? You yeah. relieved uh, that the Bucks kept everything together? Yes, on the, on the draft deadline, as you say, aka the trade deadline, it's already going sideways. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I should point out I'm still jet lagged. So I anyone, say, I could say anything. And hangover <laughs> and the joy of the fires literally being put out by this awesome blanket of rain. The entire eastern seaboard has has felt the last the last week. Yeah, looked pretty good. I just watched myself. To be honest, I just finished uh, um, Buck Sixers uh, game tonight, which was played in Milwaukee. So that was a you know that's always a satisfying one to watch. Embiid go six for 26 or whatever it was and sitting on the end of the bench sulking and glaring at his teammates and staring off into space like as just something else. It's just... Uh, well, yeah. can I just say something though, Daz? I'm turning a bit on the bucks and I'll tell you why because I don't like bullies and I saw Giannis today with 36 <laughs> points, 20 rebounds and six assists and he was bullying the poor sixers. And I just felt it was unfair. Yeah, I like, I, I love it. I love. I had a bit of a Twitter back and forth about, um, about Wiggins, which we'll get into, right? Which was the a bit of back and forth. Hey, the conversation, Andrew. I'll bring it back to your point about Giannis. I promise. Which was, hey, maybe the change of scenery and a real coach for the first time. We'll, we'll get Wiggins to to do, you know, exert max effort and unleash this defensive you know, um, defensive-minded guy, that this, this physical freak that we've seen for all these years. And I, my retort was, does Chris Paul need a coach? Like, does LeBron <laughs> James need a coach and a system? Did Giannis, does he need a coach and a system to get him to try hard? I go, that, that is just the, the grandest lie you could be telling yourself about, yeah, suddenly Andrew Wiggins is going to become this fierce competitor just because he's talking to Steve Kerr and, 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 and Draymond Green every day. And so to your point, yeah, this this is just how Giannis is wired and um, we will have conversations, no doubt, about his as his career goes on and this extreme minutes limit he's been put on. But to say he doesn't go all out at both ends is a little bit like probably LeBron was back, you know, 10 years ago. He just doesn't know anything but to go 100 miles an hour on both ends. And, uh, yeah, certainly is also obviously a little bit of extra sauce you know when it's um, you know space cadet Ben Simmons and and sultry um, sultry is that the word sulky not sultry <laughs> Sul- sulky sort of Joel Embiid so um, yeah well, that's his sixth game in a row Giannis uh, with plus thirty points plus fifteen rebounds and plus five assists. So first time since Wilt did it back in the 60s. So that's yeah, the sort of historic yeah. run, Daz, that you're seeing from Giannis at the moment. And 34 minutes today, Daz, and he's averaging just well, 31 that's, I minutes did, a game. But I noticed the other yeah. day, he's 
I think Bud's is actually ticking the minutes up a little bit more um, than what he probably good, did last yeah. year, which okay. I think is a good thing. Because even the, there was the other day, I'm not, I can't remember, oh, they played New Orleans, and um, all the starters were in the sort of 30-minute range in a game that they won fairly easily, albeit running away over in the third quarter. And I sort of thought, that's probably a good sign, though, because I felt they were a little bit underdone in the regular season. I think he overdid the minutes restrictions on Giannis, etc. last season. Um, I'd like to see Giannis consistently in that mid-30 minute range, whereas I think last year there was a lot of games where he was sitting and probably playing around the low 30 minutes range. His his minutes are actually lower this year. His numbers are higher, and then obviously his his per 36 numbers are higher, but he's actually playing fewer minutes this year, but that's a, a you know, just this fascinating, you know, the, this management of... Well, I wonder if he'll ramp it up, though, as, as they go into the playoffs um, and get him into that 34 to 38 I, range. <laughs> I think there's probably two factors there. One is the, right, is the, obviously, I think, getting his, his, his playoff legs ready. That being said, the first round, he could probably rest for the whole first round. I don't mean to insult the Orlando Magic, but I do. It's, they're that bad. But so yeah, you do need to get playoff legs, and there's also going to be the the history chase. I think if the if the Bucks stay healthy and they kind of stay on this 70 win pace, I don't see it's absolutely not something Bud is ever going to you know coach to. But you can see Giannis being that you know the engine that drives that, and if they're they're healthy and they're on that pace, and you know say in, in a few weeks time they're whatever's the record now 44 and seven. If they're like you know if they're if they're 55 and eight, you know, and kind of in sniffing distance. You could see him not 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 peel it back, and therefore kind of ramp it up that way, sort of in the way, right? Just the way the the, the dubs did, where right for the fans, um, it was for all of us, right? Really, it was it was magical, wasn't it? Every single night watching the dubs just sort of rack up another W was pretty fun. So, look, I don't think seventy is going to mean as much as the chase for seventy three for the dubs, but. It'll get. I think it'll get some. It'll get some play though if, if it does do that. But uh, the amazing thing about this team is though, you look at the games they've lost and teams. I mean, I watched the Denver game they lost last week, and Denver had to just shoot. Like Denver had flames coming out of their backside as with the shots that they were making. Um, it was just a complete aberration. And I think there's been two or three games like that this year. I know the Boston game and the Miami game were another two that sort of stand out to me in terms of the games they lost, where you just like, that was just totally out of out of character and out of the box for those teams to do what they did. So I think, as crazy as it sounds, Daz, I think they're better than their record suggests at 40-7. and seven. Well, they're or that's actually good. So the, the numbers were run after Denver shot something. I think they were twenty-one for thirty-eight. Like shot close to fifty percent. Well, particularly in right. the second half, they just could not miss. Yeah, they hit ten for thirteen at one point. Right, I do recall that. And similar things where I know Boston hit Boston hit six six in a row in the third quarter and one of the losses. But yeah, so the anyway the numbers have been run, and the and the Bucks opponents have shot. I think it's 44.8, 44.2, something like between 44 and 45% from downtown in the Buck seven losses. And in the other 44 games, it's the NBA average, they've shot 35%. And so, but that's how the Bucks, that's, that's it. That's the Buck systems on a page is there. They are one of the best teams in history at defending the paint. So they allow the fewest attempts inside three feet. And when they do attempt it, 
also the f- lowest field goal percentage. So it's like Gobert gets all this, you know, kind of notoriety for defense, but you just watch Brooke Lopez and Giannis patrol, and then the way that the dig backs of, of Pat Connaughton, Dante DiVincenzo, Bledsoe, digging back for guys who attack the paint, it's just their interior defense, Daz, is something else. So this, what I've seen is perhaps that this is why my, my heart rate won't get above, you know, Fred Van Vliet level now after that, that we saw what happened last year, such a shock to the system. If the Bucks lose in the playoffs, it's probably because the team shoots the lights out. I'm going to have to shrug my shoulders and go, fuck, that's how this Bucks team is engineered. You kind of hope that doesn't happen four times in seven again like it did against Toronto, but that does is like, a, this is how they're engineered to play. They hope a couple bounce their way, but it's, the, the, the floor is so high when their defense is playing like this. They're going to be really, really hard to beat. But uh, So, yeah, so today, like, they, they played, you know, um, New Orleans the other day, and, they, you know, Zion was trying everything he could and was like five, five for 20. He just couldn't get anything. Mm. He's just got, right, Lopez's and and Urson, Ilyasova's and Giannis's everywhere and get rejected multiple times at the rim. And same thing, Embiid had absolutely nothing. He tried to put his shoulder into the Lopez's chest and he's not getting, you know, the refs are letting him play a bit today. And he just was getting frustrated. He was six for 26 and relegated to shooting 20-footers. Well, he's been look. terrible since coming back from injury, so I'm staying the question whether he's 100%. Right, um, and whether they should have just left him on the sideline. We haven't seen him, like, he plays with fire, like, what, once every two weeks? I guess why this, the Philadelphia team just can't be taken seriously. Like, you just watch them, they, they just don't play hard or focused or... Anyway, I, um, so, yeah, the Phillies got Philly's got all kinds of choo-choo train written all over them. So I think they got some good, I think it's some good low, by low, you know, eighth and ninth men here at the deadline when and Glenn Robinson and Alexi Burke or Trey Burks or Alex Burkeye or one of the Burke brothers. You mm-hmm. know, I think it's Alec Burks the shooter, Alec right? Alec Burks, yeah. Alec Burks, yeah, the bigger the bigger dude. Trey Burke's the little guy, they just let go, right? Um Well I mean they released James Ennis. Uh and Yeah, basically. And yeah. got Glenn Robinson the third. So you've basically got the same player. I, I don't really see much difference in either of those two guys. Yeah. So I'm yeah. not really sure where the upgrade is there. And Alex Burks is what he is. I mean he's a you know, one one game in every ten he might come on and yeah. knock down yeah, a few shots. Empty calories, both of them this season. But uh mm. yeah, the Bucks are kind of on autopilot Daz. Um what's been nice to see is that they do have some you know they got some X factor now. The way Dante's playing, you know he's he's playing much better, and I'm I'm actually relieved. Um, Bud's also ramp been ramping up Corver's minutes, and he's he's Corver's looking look fine. Better. Yep, he's looked better. Yeah, and Matthews has had a Matthews is the guy of, that's really been a. I think when when they let Brogdon go, that that's yeah. been the thing that's really um, sort of lessened. The, he just the, hasn't brought it on offense, to be fair. But but again, what's consistent about him, Des, though, is it's too strong of a word, but let's just say very, very good defense, right? I don't say he Well, you've still got to respect very, very his shooting, stout. though. I mean, he still gives you that spacing where you have to respect uh, yeah. the shot, you know, even yeah. if he hasn't been He's shooting. He's not afraid. Lights He's out. not afraid to get it up. Exactly. Yep. So that's yep. why he, him being out there is still a positive on offense, even if he's not putting up the numbers that you might want, you might hope for. Hey, he's, he's shooting 37% from downtown on the year. It's a much lower... 
Yeah, it's on 24 minutes a game, and he's playing really, really good defense. He's not the athlete he was, right? So he can't, he can't really attack, you know, close out as like he could. Um, but he has flashes. He's super smart. He plays good defense, so he'll he'll have a role. He'll definitely have a role in the playoffs for 20, 20 minutes a night. That's well, for between sure. him so, and George Hill, and obviously Bledsoe's a you know a star anyway. But between Hill, DiVincenzo. Um, Pat Connett and Wes Matthews. I mean, they've got enough minutes there to cover those other guard spots, yeah. haven't they? Yeah, they do. Um, they so do. that that certainly lessens any blow that they might have had from leading Brogdon walks. So I think I think they're probably feeling much better about that now. Um, not that they may have ever been feeling that bad about it. No, yeah. I, no I think Indiana is still well, feeling good about things. As I, well. I think it's the more the broader narrative when you know the punditry will look at the say you know the the Bucks. Um, was their motivation of letting Brogdon go partially um, or what part of it was motivated by staying out of the tax? What part of it was actually, he wasn't a great fit in Bud's system. What part of it was the money? What part of it was his you know, injury history? All those things go into the question. They say, well, he, you know, they got this first rounder and a couple seconds for him. And the, those who were having the, the patient view with it saying, let's just see what they do with this pick at the deadline. You know, they're going to save it to, you know, kind of really, you know, go all in on this season. And so I was actually just listening to Dunk, um, Dunk and Danny before, and Dunk is pretty pissed. He's like, oh, I don't know what they're doing. You know, they got this, they let Brogdon go to get this pick. And he said, this is why we said they should have kept Brogdon, because he actually probably had more trade value as a $20 million a year player than this first-round pick. Mm-hmm. Say what you will about Brogdon's, you know, salary. And so he goes, that either, so they're either in love with this pick and trying to thread the needle and just going to keep the, this beautiful, perfect, arguably this perfect chemistry of the team together and still have some assets and keep some young guys coming in. But they said, man, oh, man, if they don't win the title this year and it's, you know, because of whatever, Bledsoe has another crap to bed, Matthew shoots 21% for a series or whatever, and you're still holding on to this first-round pick, and Dante, etc. he goes, if there was anything that was on the table that we find out that they, they kept their powder dry, that could be the thing that would but goes credibly perhaps have Giannis going, what the fuck did you give us all we needed? So I don't know if I fully, fully buy that. Cause I'm actually a realist. I go, who was actually available? Like, well, that's what I was going to say. I'm not sure who, who would have like, been out there. Bogdanovich was not available. Joe no. Harris was not available. Um, Marcus Morris is a fucking toxic cancer of a human being with a criminal record. Who's right. Who's done mm. what he did to the Spurs and had his agent had to dump him. I go, yep, but let the, let the Clippers pay, you know, a first-rounder, you know, for him. I go, what, Gallo would have taken multiple first-rounders? It sounds like it, or really high ones that the Bucks don't have. And so Gallo wasn't really gettable. So what are we, who are we actually talking about? Right, Covington, I think, could have been a fit. But I go, is he really, like, for the price you'd have to pay, is, that big, is he that big of an upgrade over Matthews and Hill? Because that's whose minutes he'd be taking. And so you kind of look and go, who was really available that could move, move the dial? So, um, so we'll see. I guess we'll see. But they are they are the is a well-oiled machine. Daz. they don't have the flair um, of the of the sixteen Warriors and seventy-three win team. They don't have that. But there's there's always that spurt in the game where it's like it, it's inevitable. That there's a fifteen to one run is coming, and then mm. they just play lockdown defense and. It just sort of saps the confidence of, of all opponents. So um, I think I'm probably higher on their defense and less worried about that. And I think they'll still have they're still vulnerable. If Giannis can't get to the rack, 
or if his free throw shooting sh- falls off, they you know they could be they definitely could be vulnerable. They're not perfect. Well, the but, um, the best moment of the NBA at the moment is when Giannis checks out in the third quarter, and he has that sort of break that he generally has in that stage. And then if it's a close game, when he first checks back into a close game in either late third quarter, early fourth quarter, <laughs> that's the best time to watch the NBA at the moment. Because you he's know, so, he's it's fucking so pissed. He gets because... so pissed sitting on the bench, Daz. It's like I just had a whole fucking halftime. I've been sitting for twenty minutes. You play me five, and you fucking sit me. He's just over there, absolutely stewing. So yeah, look, he is an absolute. He's just pure bliss to watch. He really is, but um. Yeah, probably enough about the you know the Milwaukee Bucks podcast here. Well, now, let's let's yeah, move on to the trade deadline, Dad. So, first question without notice in terms of the trade deadline, something that's that's annoyed both of us at the moment. When did it become okay, Daz, to quit on your team? At, at what stage? Can you trace it back to a time? I can. Twenty when... December, twenty seventeen, when Kawhi went to New York to his, to quote work with his own trainers, end quote. Right when he. I mean it half glibly, but that's the first thing that comes to my mind, Daz, is that when um, there was an, there wasn't an ability, you know, um, to sanction him. There was this all this gray zone between the medicals, and they were in a very competitive season, to say the least, right? And so, mm-hmm. the, the, had the team basically held hostage, and Pop and the team was held hostage with, can you really punish this guy and get really punitive with him? And so, and then as we find out, right, it was basically, right, we'll never know what version of the truth of of it, but it certainly looks very, very clear now in hindsight. He was just escaping and protecting himself um, and quitting on his team. From my view, that's what it looks like to me from yeah. the outside. So that's when it really, I'm sure there's been cases long before that, Daz and petulant players going back to whatever, Gilbert Arenas or, or, um, or Vince Carter Rashid Wallace or Toronto. Vince Carter, you know, and, McGrady and Shaq running out of Orlando. I mean, tons of stars who've left their, you know, left their clubs. But the, yeah, usually there's been a. I think I'm. I'd have to go back and remember. But Carter, the most memorable. But yeah, so quitting on your team in the middle of the season, or as it were here, um, pretty well, much. I think there's quitting on of, your team and sort of turning up and not playing your best, or, or sort of going through the motions a little bit like what Kevin Love's doing at the moment. Um, fucking Anthony Davis last year. Anthony Davis last year. And then there's just, I'm not going to show up like Kawhi Leonard and Andre Iguodala this year. I mean, what Iguodala did was, uh, I've just not seen it before. And the fact that people were cheerleading him on in, in doing it was, was what was stunning to me. I mean, how does the guy get a paycheck? When he just says, I'm not turning up. I don't understand how that's not just the most obvious breach of contract, right? That you would have a, a you know, then have a grievance. Is it because he has so much leverage because he's, what, vice president of the Players Union? Like him and Chris Paul, right, if I'm not mistaken, they're, they're one and, number one and two in the, in the union, if I'm not, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. But yeah, I, it's, I, I think you're probably asking that in the rhetorical, where you're right, I, I think we're all kind of, Especially when you and I are probably well, not we're all quite... because we're in the minority. If you, I mean, if if you, in terms of you what you're seeing from the well, I think from the fandom, maybe we're in the majority. But in terms of what you're seeing from the the NBA media, most people have been on this sort of free year bandwagon, and oh, he's won a title, so he's entitled to not want to play for a you know up and coming team. It's like, 
I, what, he's what under are you contract. Even talking about? I just can't. I can't believe it. Long yeah, time. look. I guess. I mean, I, I, this is this. This is the pendulum, right? I mean, what I was going to say is that I think you and I are pretty similar in our, you know, the, the arc of our uh, careers, as fa- fan career, I guess, for want of a better term, with you know NFL and the NBA, and I think you and I, have, you probably because of the Bears, have been such a tormented cesspool of you know human excrement stacked together, you know, under a mustache, you know, and you know, I just right for a whole bunch of other reasons, just can't stand the NFL. One of the reasons is the basically the, 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 what what is only a step above slavery, you know, the way that the players are treated, the way they fight the medical claims, and just the absolute mm-hmm. churn and burn, the system that that these men and these boys get absolutely their bodies absolutely destroyed by age 23, 24. There's nothing for them, right? And so I go, but part of the reason why I despise the NFL is this, the, the absolute power, the franchise tagging, right, the vilification of players like Cap. Right, the the vilification of players who hold out, um, you know, whether that's Le'Veon Bell or whomever, just absolute vilification in the NFL, right? Versus what we have now, the pendulum the other way does. So I go like the player empowerment. I like that there's this, the the and NBA players can talk, and uh, you know, uh, express themselves and talk about social issues and take stands, and they you know they've now right they've driven the revenues, they've taken more risk by having shorter contracts, all these things. We've talked about this before. Right? Player empowerment is real. And it actually is feel good. It fucking sucks for, for teams when you lose your stars. But as we've seen in New Orleans, as we've seen in Oklahoma this year, shit can turn around really quickly. Right? And if you love basketball and good basketball is played, you'll get, you'll get sucked back into it, right? So, but this is, a, this is a step too far for me. There is this quitting whilst under contract in particular, quitting on your team, Without any retribution, I'm like you. You're a human. You have the right to break a contract, right? We we all do. You, you have, you know, self determination. You can quit. But I just don't like there's no there's no penalty for it. So that's the other thing where I kind of you know, you can see at the beginning of the season, you know, poor Iggy's been done hard by, you know, hard done by, and jettisoned off, and oh poor guys, you know, wouldn't it be better if they just kind of had a handshake and have him sit out until they can get him onto a contender? I go. I would have understood that, right? I think you would have understood it. We all just said, you know what? There's a mutuality here where they had a, you know, um, a professional conversation that says best for both parties is you stay healthy. We'll work something out during the year, but you know what? Just keep your mouth shut and we'll be fine. But you start going to the media and start yapping about it. Now we're going to have problems. We're going to start slapping fines on you and start requiring you to show up at practice or you're going to start getting, you know, getting fined. But um, I would have liked that. I could have seen that happening. You know, the mutual stay away, you know, almost like what Carlo did for a while um, and others. And so it's just well, one of the things that annoyed me that was, was this sort of view that uh, that they should buy him out. Like there's some sort of and I mean, there's no question in my mind, like a, a team like Phoenix would have just bought a year out and said, OK, see you later. We'll buy you out. That's what you want. I mean, I give a hell of a lot I of credit to Memphis. <laughs> that they held on to him and said, no, we're going to trade you. We're not going to buy you out. We're going to trade you, and we're going to get another asset back. Because don't forget, they, well, they got the first round for taking him on the first place. They got a first round for taking him on the first place, and they got Justice Winslow here, and they probably didn't get as, as good of a pick. I don't think they got enough in return for taking on fucking James Johnson and Dion Waiters, and Waiters is gone, and Johnson's been jettisoned, but... 
I thought they actually could have done you know better for taking on what salary, but that that's by the by. But the the anyone who suggests quote they should have just bought him out end quote by the very nature of that sentiment is saying that Iguodala is worthless. Right? If you think he should be bought out, that means he's a borderline. He's a well, they're saying. Well, I think what they're saying is, and this is this championship or bus mentality. He's only valuable to a contender, so he's only valuable to the top five or six teams in the league. Yeah, tell that to Vince Carter in the Hawks. Tell that to Chris Paul. Right? Tell that. Well, that's to- a different, but they're different character. I mean, this is where I've lost a lot of respect for Iguodala because I think it says a bit, fair bit about his character. That he sort of sat out and said. I'm only going to play for a contender and I've got no interest in playing for a young, probably the most exciting team in the league, truth be told, the Memphis Grizzlies, um, outside of those you know, top teams. So yeah, I'm, I'm 100% so fuck Iguodala, fuck the, the incompetent, sycophantic um, national media who increasingly know three-fifths of fuck all I'm convinced as you just don't watch the games or don't have common sense anymore. Thank goodness, right? My boy Chris Vernon, the voice of reason, went on a, went on a rant about it. And I don't think, and I don't think it's just because he's a Memphis guy. I think he would have gone on a rant if this was a, a Detroit guy or an Orlando guy, for that matter. So there's there's some cooler heads when I go. But for me, the conversation is, he's not a buyout candidate because he's a valuable player. I think he still has value. So therefore, keep his value. He's a he's an asset. Mm. How that conversation gets any more complicated than that is beyond me. It becomes it's just rhetoric. Perhaps this was all player-driven stuff, Daz, and player-driven players and, and the, their agent just driving this narrative and feeding the stuff to the media is maybe what it was, again, because he got quite a lot of power. And, again, what we saw exerted, again, is how the fuck did he then now – He all he wanted to do was play in Los Angeles, right? He's not going to go to Los Angeles and he's going to do one last thing. I'm not going to play in Miami. I'm a threaten to retire, basically. I'll threaten to retire unless you give me another year. Another year. <laughs> so he got himself a two-year deal. I go, two years, 30 the, mil? I couldn't believe the that. Well, granted, the second year is non-guaranteed, but still. So it's a two minus one. But the point is, oh, okay, yep. the, the point was made. It's not, it's not two years guaranteed. It's not, it's not San Antonio, Paul Gasol insane. <laughs> <laughs> right? It's just... Uh, it's just a, an overpay. Um, well, the last pay. point I'll make on this, I, we're not far away, Daz, from the rookie, the top-line rookie that doesn't sign his qualifying offer, the number one or two pick. That yeah, just it's coming. Says, it's coming. There's no question about it. And I think if Luka Doncic didn't go to Dallas, I think he was a classic uh, a classic case of a guy that could Like, if Sacramento had have taken him with the two pick, it would not have all surprised me if he had just said, "I'm not taking the qualifying offer. I'm gone. I'm going to Europe. I'm going." Especially with Luca, who probably had or the not, leverage. Yeah, to he, say, he might have. I'm just going to play in Europe again. Yep. I'll make as much money. I'm still going to be a superstar. And that's what and annoys gonna... me when people criticise Sacramento for not taking him. I mean, I, can, I think you can criticise Phoenix for not taking him because Phoenix had his Slovenian national team coach, and I think he would have gone there. But I don't think you can criticise Sacramento without that context of he didn't want to go there and and in the player empowerment era that needs to be considered i think for some of these franchises yeah i'm with you i i I tend to i tend to err on the same side as exactly what you've just said is i think phoenix um should absolutely be reviled and ridiculed and i i i think i i don't mean this only in slight hyperbole daz 
Sam Bowie over Michael Jordan was actually more defensible than Andre Ayton, DeAndre Ayton over Luka, in mm-hmm. my opinion. Hakeem had been number one, right? It was an era of giant centers. Bowie was a phenomenal athlete, right? So I go, I literally mean this, right? Bowie over Jordan at the time the pick was made was more defensible than DeAndre Ayton, the sycophant local boosters, you know, wet dream, you know, going to Phoenix instead of, you know, this most un- unbelievably number, obvious and number one pick as we've seen. And, and Sacramento, I think you're right. And I think in part of what must have happened, I think in the agent circles, is that I reckon this is why Bagley was over the top, wasn't he? Mm-hmm. Remember, he was over the top. I love Sacramento. I can't wait. Sign me up. Give me some, give me some buddy and give me some, right? He was over the top. I want to be in Sacramento. I think that was his way. He knew there was a crack there. He knew there was a crack with Luca. I think his his side his team saw what Sarver was going to do, and that's why they got in their love affair. And you know, obviously, hasn't panned out yet. Poor kid's been injured. I don't think he's a bust yet, but boy, he's got he's got to really come back next year. But mm. um, man, I don't know how we got on this topic, Daz. But I'm with you. I don't think Sacramento they're in a fucking shitty situation now. To be honest, though. Because buddies regressed, they're gonna have to pay Bogdanovich a lot of money. D Fox is nice, but man, they've got they've got just nothing, nothing up front. You know, Giles is predictably hurt, and right, and it's just they got a mess in the front. Well, it could be worse. But, um, you, they could be the Phoenix Suns. Um, the, the Suns, I mean, yeah. just on the Suns, TJ Warren's been out for four games, and uh, the Pacers are currently on a four-game losing streak. Like that's how important he's been to that franchise this year and Phoenix literally paid money to the Pacers. They paid a first rounder. <laughs> they attached a first round pick, didn't they? To get rid Someone's, I think it was the highest second it was round the Bucks. pick. No, it was actually the Bucks pick. They oh, that's that right. It was too. From, yeah, that's what it was. It got, got end up in Boston with Boston. But um, yeah, so trade deadline. But we'll bring it back, right? So, what did Sacramento do with the trade deadline? Now that we've been talking about them, they well, they of, dumped dumped some they salary Deadman. essentially. Well, they get, they sent Deadman free back to Atlanta, didn't they? Yep. Which is basically an admission that they couldn't integrate him into the system, which is, um, I guess, good for the Hawks. The Hawks loaded up on a bunch of centers, didn't they? They got Capella they got uh, and yeah, they Deadman. got Scalabissier as well. So they got some big guys. Um, that they're keeping on the roster, so it was a bit, bit of a strange. Uh, I'm not sure what, where they're going to head. Maybe they're just going to have a look at the number of these guys um, as the season goes on. Um, interesting tidbit that Jabari Parker and Andrew Wiggins get traded on the same day. Does who will always be linked? Um, pretty sad state of affairs <laughs> for poor Jabari. For both of them, um, boy, with the box. Although to be fair, Jabari's been a good professional this year in Atlanta, but. Um, yeah, playing his usual level of uh, defense um, at that yeah. end of the court. I'm not well, sure you, how much you'll see the court. Oh, he's in Sacramento. Sacramento of course he is. Of course he is. So yeah. that's where yeah. he probably belongs. But what about, uh, let's go back to the Iguodala side of things with, with the trade there. I mean, he goes to Miami. Um, a lot of hype around that. Look, I, I thought it was fantastic for um, Memphis to get Justice Winslow, although Justice Winslow, obviously, with some injury issues thus far in his career, but yes, uh, um, if, if they can get him healthy and get him on the court, um, he he adds to what is probably the best young core in the league, I think, at the moment. I'm not sure who's got a better young core than what Memphis have got, but on the Miami side, I mean, 
I think this. I think they're probably already the clear number two team in the Eastern Conference, Daz. And this you mean in the, terms of the threat to the Bucks? Terms of the threat the to the Bucks, threat? I think so. Yeah. Um, yeah. And and I yeah. I like the way they can now match up with the Bucks because there's not too many teams that can sit there and say, you know what. We're comfortable leaving our centre out there, even if the Bucks go with Giannis at centre. And I think Miami's one of the few teams that can do it. I mean, I certainly still expect that uh, that Giannis would get the better of Bam and Abaya, but at least Bam can make him work for it. Um, you know, and and sort of he can play in the perimeter as well if they're playing that style of game. And now you've got Iguodala; he can be the primary defender on a, on a Middleton, and you can maybe save Butler a bit more for the offensive end rather than having him to work too hard at both ends of the court. So I like it from that point of view. I just I wonder how much gas Iguodala's got left in the tank and whether teams are just going to say, look, this is a guy we're not going to guard on the offensive end at all. I think he's going to be a little bit of a Robeson-type player, quite honestly, because he, he was not very good last year on the offensive end for... Golden State, and I don't think sitting out for six months would have helped him on that end of the court. No, I mean he's the type of guy, though. He's probably he's probably in as peak condition as he can be, right? So I don't, I think he has probably not game condition yet, right? Let's put it that way. But right, we were saying this though, um, like he he had lost a couple steps, right? When we were watching him get run off the court. Um, with their shell of a team against Toronto, though, right? Like you could just see he wasn't he, he was he was a step slow. So that doesn't mean he can't still be a really good individual individual defender for threes and fours. Maybe less so more. You know, he probably can't go out and you know defend twos and threes anymore. But can he defend a Middleton and defend a you know defend a um, a Tatum defend a Ben Simmons? Yep. Probably quite capably, but yeah, I'm with you. That I, I'd if I'm Miami and you've got him and Adebayo on the floor at the same time, and you've got yourself and Jimmy Butler, my, and you got yourself a you know a full body dry heave set to music on offense, and you better hope that Jimmy's making every fucking hard bucket under the sun um, because that is a that's a tough that's a tough slog. So I haven't quite got my head around all the different lineup combinations where Iggy might play, but you reckon he's the, he's going to be a closer. Right, he's gonna be a closer in a lineup, or yeah, a, a tight, a tight game where they're they're mounting a comeback and just need a you know a series of lockdown defensive efforts. But I genuinely worry about his offensive game, Daz. So, look, I'm not too uh, that 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 acquisition didn't actually quite worry me too much. As I was saying a little bit um, offline, I was probably more worried if if a team like Miami got Iguodala and Gallinari. And now suddenly you've got optionality to go really defensive with, with an Iggy, you know Iggy and Bam and Jimmy lineup, or can go really offensive, you know, with a you know Duncan Robinson, Hero, you know Gallinari lineups. They got they got shooters all over the place anyway. So that for me is perhaps where I'm, I'm kind of not quite as worried about um, Miami in so much as what they could have done. Yeah. Uh, clearly they improved with Iggy and clearly improving you know, addition by subtraction, you know, getting off of um, Waiters and Johnson, um, you know, you completely useless players and getting useful players like, you know, um, Jay Crowder, Jay Crowder will play. He'll play. He might just be a um, kind of a minutes eater for a while and, and keep the team, you know, raise their floor a little bit. 
Um, but, um, yeah, they get useful players in return for not a ton given up. Well, that's been the, the advantage of signing all those sort of $10 million. I remember when they had uh, two years ago when they sort of signed all those $10 million contracts. And we said on this pod, we said, well, look, all these contracts in a vacuum are defensible. But to sign them all at the same time and sort of cap yourself out, we couldn't understand it. Well, I think now you're seeing some of the logic of it where they are all tradable, or well, most of them are tradable. Obviously, that uh, they lost <coughs> a bit of value um, with the with the EU trade by having to throw the, the Waders and the Johnson uh, contracts in there. But most of them are being you know, reasonably valuable contracts. So they're yeah. not as hard, not that hard to move around. And it makes the team um, a little bit more trade-friendly, if you like, um, in terms of being able to make the sort of moves that they've made. So uh, with the Butler and now, you know, bringing in Iguodala. And I think Jay Crowder, as you say, he'll play uh, as well there. So, uh, you know, they're deep now. It's just do they have the top-end talent and, and what's the five-man unit that they're going to be closing games with? And I agree with you. I, my worry with Iguodala is it's going to be like Toronto, what he was with Toronto series. And even with the Houston series before that, it was like, just leave Iguodala. Like, until he makes some shots, we're not even going to worry about him. And you're sort of playing yeah. four on five on that offensive end. Like, he's, he's so smart. But he go, you can't, he can't shoot a deep ball anymore. He can't shoot free throws. Right, so it's like you, you, he's going to have to be in very special lineups that are going just defense and transition, defense and transition. When you're in that sort of type of game, where it's that sort of style, where he's the, he's the ultimate guy to play between, you know, the six minute mark of the third and the four, you know, the eight minute, eight minute mark of the fourth. If you're behind by eight, he's the guy you want in, right? Because he's making all the plays, making all the smart decisions. He's out in transition. He's making the extra pass, right? He's that guy. If you've got, you know, Robinson and Hero draining threes and, and Bam and, and Olenek or whatever, cleaning up and, and filling lanes and, and trailing and stuff, he's a great, great glue guy for the right type of game. But if, if you get into a half-court, back-and-forth, you know, 101-99 to 99 type sort of game, it just that's not the guy. Because he's, he's going to be a black hole for you on offense. Well, but. I think, and that's the thing, it's going to become a very ISO-heavy with Butler. And I think, and I don't think that's a recipe for success. I think the recipe yeah, for success right. for them offensively is going to be moving the ball, having the Kendrick Nuns and the and the heroes, Tyler heroes, yeah, I forgot about Duncan Nunn. Robinsons yeah. Yeah. out there, and even you know Goran Dragic. I mean, you can ride the hot hand to some degree um, in terms of who's making shots for Miami. But if he, if you've got a sort of five minutes for Iguodala as well, one of those guys is going to have to sit, and then you've got yeah. a guy that might not be that good. I'll, I'll make a prediction there. I don't think we're going to see as much of Iguodala in the playoffs is what people are thinking at the moment. I, I'm not sure. I just think the offensive game's fallen off so badly that it's going to be hard to justify having him out there uh, for big minutes come the playoffs. But it, it's a it's a nice option, I guess, to have if he can start making some shots or at least you know shoot yeah. a somewhat reasonable level. And, Look, and yeah, I think what I just finish that off is that I, I, if you think about where the, where the East is at, right? You got the Bucks, the juggernaut. And you've got two complete, you know, garbage teams in the seven and eight seed, right? The Orlando Magic are comfortably Daz in the eight seed, and they're mm. eight games <laughs> below five hundred. Comfortably, they're three and a half clear of the dumpster fire Chicago Bulls, right? That literally, they're they're twenty two and thirty, very comfortably in the eight seed. And Bill Simmons says the East is better than the West. Can you believe that? 
Have a look at the seven and eight seeds in the what, two what, conferences and tell me which. Like what metric would he be using? Like, oh, the Celtics are in the East, so that's the that's the metric. Oh, that's of course that's right. Yeah, Bill, I think. That's yeah. all the metric he worries about. He, oh, I don't, I can't even. I, I, I hate generic platitude <laughs> podcast conversations like that. So I'm going to skip past it. Where I was going is back to Igala. My final point at Igala. It's fucking very important not to finish in the fourth spot, right? So in in the East, you want to finish two three, right? Why? Especially in the number two seat. Well, actually, number two seat is critical, right? Number two seat means you get the fucking useless Brooklyn Nets or Orlando in your first round, and you get to avoid the Bucks in the second round, right? But if you fall if you fall to the three seed, right, you might get yourself the Sixers. Right, the well, first I don't round. think there's any might about it. I think you'll definitely get yourself the Sixers because I can't. Sixers or Pacers, right? I think both of them are like Sixers. Pacers are going to fight for five six, and that's why my point was. So my point was Toronto, Boston, Miami are all within two games of each other at this yeah. moment, right? So I go Miami currently in the four seed, but they're only two and a half behind Toronto. So I go that's going to be that's the important battle in the East. Is you know um, forget home court. It's all about. Right, get yourself the Nets or Magic, and avoid the Bucks in the second round. And right, in the flip side, avoid yourself, you know, playing that three seed. Right, avoid playing the Sixers or the even the Pacers. If Vic finds his legs, I guess, you know, I think in Philly's volatility and potential to combust, I'd say those teams are rightly there in the five six. But again, because of their volatility, fuck, they could find lightning in a bottle for a week, and. Bang, oust you in five games, right? Well, that's the I'm thing about so the Pacers. I mean, let's see when TJ Warren comes back just how they look um, because they were looking yeah. much better. And then he went out and Vic come back at the same time. And Vic hasn't looked all that great. No, uh, he yeah. certainly hasn't got really his season back either. This can take him six months. Yeah, yeah that's right. Yeah. So I'd be surprised if you get you know, even 80% Vic Oladipo before the playoffs. But, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, if he can make some sort of contribution, I guess, and then TJ Warren, who was playing probably the best basketball of his career before he got injured there, um, I still think Indiana are interesting. I think they're going to be a tough out. And I wouldn't like, if I'm if I'm a Celtics, for example, I'm not sure what that's a team I'd want to meet um, in the first round uh, of yeah. the playoffs because I'm not convinced on the Celtics just yet either. So um, I think I think that's it. That's one to watch. But just so final point on that is I think Miami to me have sort of catapulted themselves up. I expect them to get the two seed. I think they're the, you like the, them now with the two and a half games behind Toronto. You you still I think to- Toronto they're on a big winning <laughs> run. I think there's going to be a bit of a regression to the moon for Toronto very shortly. Yeah. Um, and I'm not a believer in Boston. Haven't been at any stage this year. Um, I think Boston are just yeah they they are. Um, recipients of being in the Eastern Conference, really, the, the fact that they're as high up as they are. Um, and, and to be fair, Brad Stevens done a good job uh, that this season, I think, with them to get them to the record that they have, but I just can't see them sustaining it. Just nothing um, scares you about Tice Cantor. And I'm just sorry, I like Jason Tatum, but his defense... They seem to get really good team defensive metrics, but just that doesn't scare me in the playoffs... That team just doesn't scare me in the playoffs. I I'm think like, they've just got I'm a sorry, high I can, floor. I can fucking attack. I'm going to attack Gordon Hayward. I'm going to attack Daniel Tice. I'm going to attack Ennis Cantor. These are too many places you can attack. 
in, in the well, I think there's two things. I mean, I think they're, they're playing with a level of competence that gives them a high floor, and that goes to the Stevens coaching. And I think because they're playing such so much small ball, they're a bit of a different look that they give teams in the regular season. And I think there's a little bit of a, this is a different team to face when you meet them on a, on a random night in November. You know, but once you get ready to... Uh, prep for them for a seven game series in the playoffs uh, I expect it's going to be a different story and uh, I think I think this is a team that's built for the regular season more than the playoffs and I and I expect that they'll yeah. probably struggle yeah. um, once, once the playoffs start um, yeah. let's talk quickly the, the big blockbuster trade that sort of the first domino the fall does was the Houston Atlanta uh, deal which was essentially Clint Capella goes to Atlanta. There was a heap of different players. Denver were involved as well. A heap of different players moving around um, in this one. But the major one, Robert Covington goes to Houston and Clint Capella uh, goes to Atlanta. Uh, and, I mean, there was players that have moved back and forth even since then um, in terms of Shabazz Napier, etc., who went from Denver to uh, to Washington? Um, so, what what do you make of that trade? I mean, in, in terms of looking at the the Houston Atlanta side of it first. Um, well, yeah, there was all four teams of Rockets. Yeah, I got Covington. I guess is probably the biggest name. Covington and Capella, the biggest names in the deal, right? So they got Covington and Jordan Bell. They since flipped Jordan Bell for Caboclo. Is that right? That's right. Yeah. Cabo- yeah. That. Weird dude who seems to be, I think he's been a rookie for six years, right? He's been around forever. I can't believe he's only 24. Up. So he's anyway, famous get... two years from being two years away player that Toronto <laughs> that's drafted. Right. Just how they talked about Giannis, that's right. Yeah, so the Rockets got the Rockets have traded their, their last tradable first-round pick, which is the 2020 first-rounder, which was, you know, probably, I don't know, maybe the number 25 pick or something. So that's gone. Um, but they got uh, Covington and um, and Jordan Bell to show for it, and some way out in the future second rounder. So and then the Rockets didn't they didn't keep Bell they dumped they they traded him. So basically it's just like the Rockets decided we're not going to have a center. And you thought that you know the, obviously the NBA is kind of going towards this year they have a difference making center like you know Gobert or Embiid or or Jokic. And you kind of build your team around our Anthony Towns, and that's the centerpiece of your team. It can still be really, 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 really good. Or you get yourself, you know, the, your your min-level Daniel Tices and you know Javale McGee's, or, or you can I kind of call him mid-level because he was signed with Bird Rights, but you know Brook Lopez and you know good fit for your team sort of stuff. And so the having the you know Maury Ball having an eighteen million dollar a year, Clint Capella just wasn't moving the needle for him. So yeah, so they got themselves Covington. Um, so I have no idea if it's going to work. As I go, so what's that do for them? Right, they're they're no longer big. They can play Covington and 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 PJ Tucker at the four or five, you know, with um with Russ and Harden, whomever else they want to throw in there, Gordon or um, whoever the healthy body of the day is, Ben McLemore, Austin Rivers, whatever. So they're going to go really small. And Covington, right? What's Covington? He's a, you know, he's a body who can. Um, he's probably a better. What would we say? He's a better team defender. He's not a lockdown wing defender like Kawhi, but he's rangy and long and smart and good positionally, right? So I think he's going to be a, a credible defender against a LeBron 
in an ADR against a PG and and Kawhi. Well, they play well to today. They played the Lakers today. Des, just to interrupt you on that. And uh, Covington shot four or seven from three. Uh, yeah, I didn't see the game, but I saw that they double-digit victory. In well, Russ actually went off. Russ had 41 points. Uh, Harden only shot three for 10 from the field and 14 points. Excuse me? Three for 10 from the field for Harden. Excuse 14 me? He took 10, 10 field goal attempts. So 28 field goal attempts for Westbrook and 10 field goal attempts for Harden. So it was obviously Russ's oh, end today. Oh, the herpes just flared up. <laughs> That's why I think. But, I mean, the bigger point was you're playing against Anthony Davis and they literally did not play centre today. Like, there's not... I'm just looking at the box score now. PJ Tucker played 31 minutes. So Covington played Daniel, 30. Who's there, is Daniel House playing? Is that... I think Daniel House. Maybe even Cephalosius might play a few minutes Fuck at centre. you. Cephalosius retired four years ago. Well, this is what this is the thing. Like, you, if you're saying I'm going to play against Anthony Davis, one of the premier big men in the league, and you just go, we're not even going to bother playing a centre... Well, that tells you where threes. the NBA yeah. is. Holy shit. At the moment. Well, go, that's, that's the theory on paper. The theory on paper was, you know what? Fuck it. We can't beat you with a great center because we don't have one. So we're just going to going to triple down, quadruple down on uh, on wing defense and shooting three-pointers. Okay. Holy shit. Russell Westbrook. 17 for 28. So this is all. Oh, yeah, but only two threes. So it was obviously every, just attacking the Once every the three weeks, mm. once every three weeks, Russ will single-handedly he'll beat any team in the world by himself. That's what he does. He's still that good of an athlete. I actually mean that. He's he's that good of an athlete. Seventeen for twenty-eight. That's funny. Good for you, Russ. Oh, eight turnovers. <laughs> eight turnovers. Five assists. Eight turnovers. That's fucking beautiful. Yeah, the yeah, model of efficiency. Harden, Ten field goal attempts. What? That's going to hurt his per-game average, Daz. That's going to hurt his MVP chances, don't you reckon? That 14-point oh. <laughs> outpouring. That poor fella. He's going to have to double the size of his effort in the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel this year. Yeah, I think oh it, was a, it Sorry, was a Russ I digress. Game. It was a Russ game. So, Covington, um, look, okay, so serious serious note. Um, I think Daryl Morey is um, playing for his job. I think the China thing, that his tweets are a huge deal. I think he gave up the farm times two with Russ. Um, I think he saw it, it was obviously suboptimal, but he can't just play out the string. So he, you know, did what he could and gave his last first rounder. It's a classic sign of a GM playing, you know, uh, maker's job when every single pick goes out the door and, and young players, young players go and old players come. Capella's four years younger than Covington. And I'd still argue, actually, I argue Capella's a more valuable asset in the NBA, I get the positional scarcity, but his youth, his rim running, his, his defense, his, um, you know, um, his rebounding, I think in his Capella's proven his abilities to be malleable and just be a team guy. I think she's a more valuable asset than Covington, but for this team at this point in time, I think Covington's a, you know, it's not a bad move. Um, probably like all trade deadlines, you know, like, you know, uh, I think he's been overhyped and probably over talked about and, over discussed because he's been available. So uh, I think um, nice. I'm glad they had a nice game today and knocked us off. Good, for, good for good for you, Rocco. But yeah, I think it's a desperate a desperate move. And um, gosh, could it prove genius? Maybe, but it's probably. You know what would have been genius? 
mm. keeping Chris Paul on the roster. <laughs> well, I, again, I think it's kind of almost like the same same lens as you were giving Sacramento benefit of the doubt for passing on Lucas. I, I give Maury benefit of the doubt. Sorry, Maury. Yeah, Maury. Yeah. Well, I if think James Harden, the thing about Maury if Harden's is... that pissed off, if Harden's that pissed off, you can't, you can't, you can't not trade. Look, you can't not trade Chris Paul if Harden is that surly about it. You have to, right? You have to. Oh, no, look, I think they would go to that. Look, do you think every, every single player's gotten a line? I don't know. You know, right? I, don't know. I mean, you had the best team in the NBA two seasons ago, and they've yeah. done nothing but tinker with that since then. Yeah. I mean, he's just, he reminds me of that player in the fantasy league where they sit there and they've got the best team after three weeks, but they can't help themselves. They've got to start making trades and making silly waiver pickups, and they just keep tinkering with their team. And I think that's the thing with Maury. It's just like, he can't sit whoa, still. Whoa, 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 wait a second. I drafted Brandon Ingram in the sixth round <laughs> on a flyer. He played five weeks for my team. I got a future first and a future second back for him. So, so anyway, I'm sorry, I digress. I, yes, I, I, I hear you, but um, did you see? But we're talking about James Harden here, Des, right? Did you see the clip that went viral of Austin Rivers at the very end of the game? Um, got a rebound, a game that was that was over. He got a rebound, right? And was dribbling up the court like literally just thirty seconds left in the game, and the team started screaming, throwing their hands up in the air. And he and, and Rivers like puts his hand in the head like, "Oh my God, what have I done? What have I done? What have I done?" And it's because he grabbed a rebound that would have been Harden's tenth in the game mm. to give him the triple double, yeah. and the whole entire team like got upset. Well, that tells you. Did you and, see this and, clip? Yeah, did I did see the this, clip, this, and it shows you the BS. This is my point. When they this sit there the and say, markets. we don't care about, well, like, we don't tell guys to let us get rebounds and all this sort of nonsense, him and Russ Westbrook, the numbers that they're putting up lie. is an absolute lie. The numbers Luka Doncic is putting up in Dallas is an absolute lie. These They are manipulating the stats to their own benefit and I know players have probably done it for many years, but no one has done it as shamelessly as what these guys do. And I just think numbers now mean all, literally nothing. I mean, triple does mean nothing anymore. Um, and even if you, you're seeing now some of those ridiculous numbers that t- the players are putting up, um, yeah, and I just yeah. take, take it's like it all. Yeah, it's a bit. It is. The pace is. Yeah, the pace is up and all that stuff, but... Back to what we were asking about Covington and the Rockets, and I go, I, look, I I literally mean this when I say it. James Harden would rather win scoring titles and beat Jordan's scoring record than win an NBA title. I am 100% confident that is true. I'm 100% confident. He would rather win MVPs and be famous than win a title. I am I'm convinced of it, absolutely convinced of it. So good luck to you, Rocco, you know. Poor, he was the glue guy in Philadelphia. He was the Carl uh, Anthony Towns' best friend in Minnesota, and he will be, you know, he'll be the next PJ Tucker, the lap dog, the get no credit um, player in Houston. <sighs> Good luck to you, Rocco. Um, that's going to be a that's a fate with a, a lame duck coach, uh, two of the most selfish players the world's ever seen, uh, a general manager who's probably on his way out. 
and living out his last minutes under a, a, a owner who should be going all in to win a title with a very talented team and is trying to dodge the tax. So that's what I think about the Robert Covington trade. Sorry for you, Robert. You know, I'm glad you beat L.A. today. Good for you, mate. But that just yeah, that just feels like a it just feels like the most fragile situation, doesn't it? Like just one thing goes wrong. That, that's a that's a that's well. A, I think I mean put it, glass. look. They beat LA today. I think if the same teams played two days later, the Lakers probably beat them by twenty points. I just think in a in a seven game series, you're going to work uh, this Houston team out pretty. Yeah, quickly. That's what I mean, look, Russ is still when he seventeen for twenty eight. I he still passes the eye test as he can't shoot for fucking shit. He's selfish, but his athleticism is still on. When he's feeling good, he can get literally wherever he wants, whenever he wants. And seventeen for twenty eight. Tells me he just did whatever he wanted. Well, I think that's, to me, <laughs> that's probably the way they should play, where Russ, yeah. Russ is the guy controlling the play and Harden's the guy playing off ball. But it hasn't... <laughs> and I said that, that when they a, signed Russ. That, that is a bold statement, Daz. Well, the, 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 <laughs> for this team, the best option would be, because Russ can't play off ball, Harden can at least to some extent. Harden's obviously better on ball than he's off ball, but you've got two guys that need the ball in their hands. One of them's not going to have the ball in their hands when they're both on the court together, whether you're stuck in the minutes or not. So when they're both on the on the court together, I think Russ is the guy that's got to have the ball in his hands. And, um, you know, if that means James has got a spot up somewhere, well, then so be it. Um, but at least he can shoot a spot up shot, whereas Russ can't. So that's that's where I'm sort of at with that team, and I think today sort of proves the point on that to some extent. I I hear you, but I mean it's not going to happen. I've said it before when when the IC isn't (laughs) throwing his neck back and raking his arms to watch him on the perimeter with his the way he can handle the ball and hit the step back and then just get by you. Like there isn't a more there isn't a more dangerous perimeter player with him in, with the ball in his hands when he's not cheating he is he's terrifying yeah and guess what he's Granted, not been his, terrifying his ever in the playoffs no, his, his mind his brain gets in the way Cause can we can we just go on a complete tangent have you seen what Dane Lillard, Lillard's been doing last the last month Taz? I have, he's averaging about 40-something points. He didn't have a big game today against the Spurs. He didn't need to because they beat the Spurs anyway. Yeah. But, um, yeah, he's been just ridiculous. He's shooting like 50% from three in the month of January. Well, it's been... So like 40, 48% in January or something like that. It's been like even... It's, yeah. it's been sort of at Steph Curry levels and maybe even... It has. The numbers exactly have, right. have been even a little bit better than that. But um, and and it's impressive because there's obviously not a hell of a lot of talent around him this season. Uh, no, they've been I struggling know. Portland, so he's just put the team on his back, and he's trying to uh, to carry them to the playoffs on their own. But they're chasing the, the Grizzlies, Daz, so they're still about three games behind the Grizzlies at the moment. The Grizzlies don't show any sign of um, of slacking off um, in that race for the eight seed. But have you uh, seen some? So what do you think of the Grizzlies? The good I'll, I'll use, I'll play producer for two seconds. So you've obviously seen some some John, you've seen some Triple J, and fucking Dylan Brooks looks like an NBA player. He's like poor man's Middleton to me, right? Just kind of does a bit of everything. He's like super slow by Anderson, poor man's Middleton kind of player. Yep. So what did the Grizzlies end up doing here? They have obviously jettisoned um, uh, Iguodala, 
they got this. Uh, what's the pick? What did they get back? Oh, Justice Winslow, right? That's right. They got Justice Winslow and a pick, and then they traded um, Jordan Bell for. Sorry, they got they got they got Bell, Gorgie Dang. Yeah, and they got. They gave him to Caboclo, and then they got Gorgie Dang. That's weird, isn't it? So, what do you make? What do you make of this team? Right, they've got they got Valanciunas, they got Gorgie Dang, they've got, you know, they've got this, you know, um, uh, you know, they got this this duo. They're holding on to the eight seed. What what do you what do you make of the Grizz? Well, I think look, they're, 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 they're going to fizzle out. Are they going to? What, what do you think? I think they look. The, the thing about them is, I mean, I think there's really only one team that can catch them at the moment, and that's Portland. Maybe if New Orleans... Oh, um, right. Maybe if New Orleans really get going, um, they could catch You don't them. think the Spurs can? They're they're kind of... Spurs are gone. Spurs are on the radio road trip at the moment, as they... If they oh. do... If they go 2-8 and eight on the radio road trip, I'll be stunned. Um, and they will be uh, sorry if they go better than two and eight, I should say. Um, the Spurs are gone. They're already it's, it's they're zero and two, are they? Are they? Yeah, zero yeah, and three already. They've got Sacramento oh. tomorrow, and that's the easiest game. They then they play Denver twice. Um, I think they've got they might even have Portland again. Um, no, oh, they're is, four games back at the eight seed. Yeah, yeah, they're it's in over. Yep. It's over in San Antonio. Okay. No, no doubt about yeah. it. Um, the uh, the easiest, the the Memphis have got um, one of the toughest strength of schedules left. Do they? The yeah, okay. That's the only yeah. issue that they've got there. They've right. got the second toughest um, schedule left in the league, whereas Portland are way down there, they're the 24th toughest schedule. So Portland, a much easier run home than what Memphis have. So that's the worry for me. Memphis, we've a run at the moment. They've got the Lakers home and home and Toronto home and home and the Bucks. That's their next five games. Then they've got what? the Clippers. <laughs> oh, sorry. No, that's their toughest opponent. Sorry, I'm looking at the wrong thing there. I'm looking at the wrong thing. But no, you're rather got at Philly, Portland, at Sacramento, at LA, at the Lakers, at the Clippers. Three in a row, at the Lakers, at the Clippers, at the Rockets. Yep. <laughs> Home for the Kings and Lakers. And then they go another road trip. And then, yeah, Jazz, Spurs, Bucks. Yeah, okay. Holy shit. Home and home against the Raptors. Another two Nuggets games. Sixers. Oh, right, they're fucked. That's a really hard schedule. Okay, and then Portland. What? Um, uh, what do we know about um, Nurkic and Zach Collins? I guess that's probably the big. Not that they're going to be any threat, right? To in the playoffs, I don't think. Can Portland, if they let's imagine Zach Collins and Nurkic are healthy, can they win a playoff series? From well, the seven or eight seed. Look, they'd be playing the Clippers or the Lakers, so it's all down long. I mean, they did beat the Lakers um, in, the, in the Kobe Bryant game, but um, I think it's unlikely to suggest they'd, they'd beat them in a seven-game series. They might take a game or two and, and make it interesting, but uh, I can't see them beating it either yeah, those two, no, okay. unless the Clippers <clears throat> got some injuries or the Lakers got some injuries which obviously at this yeah, stage yeah. you wouldn't be expecting that. So I'd rather see the Grizzlies there or the Pelicans there, just a young team that you can sort of um, yeah, give them a few plaf reps um, at this stage. Whereas the, if, if Portland are there, we've sort of seen this movie before. Yes, it's, yeah. it's nice to see Dame Lillard in the plafs, but uh, I just don't see. And Nurkic, 
there was suggestions he was going to come back, but um, my my guess is that they'll redshirt him given the way the season's going. Um, mm. And Zach Collins, I, I haven't heard. I'll just see if I can get up Zach Collins at the moment. But um, at the last I'd heard... I know that... But I saw that Nurkic, well. is, Nurkic is back at practice, right? That's what I saw, but... Um, geez, Carmelo, Carmelo Anthony's... He's still he's still playing, like he's not the worst player in the NBA. He isn't. No, no. Look, <laughs> he's, 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 he's been he's been okay on offense. I mean, he's, he doesn't play any defense. Quickly, yeah, Zach course. Collins back in March. They're talking, so uh, he still will be Mark. back. Mellow, at some fifteen point, points. Mellon's playing thirty-two minutes, Dad. Look, he's the Jesus third. He's the third. He's a decent third option. I mean, Whiteside's been yeah. a bit of a disaster, which is is. Totally understand. He's shooting thirty six from three. You know, uh, he's shooting more through. Certainly shooting better from three than he did yeah. in his OKC uh, sojourn and the five minutes that he spent with Houston. Fifteen points a night. Jesus Christ, man! Look good for you, mate. So right. he's been okay, but at the end of the day, look, they're twenty. Well, they're twenty four and twenty eight. Um, so it's all. It's pretty. Pretty poor. They so. are only two and a half behind the Grizz. Given that they're two and a half now, saw. I thought it was three back. So they've and they got and the same yet. point differential. So you kind of go. They kind of performed at expected levels um, around five hundred, just under five hundred. And you think there might be a rookie wall for Jar to hit as well? So look, if you, if you said to me what what am I betting on? I'd be betting on Portland to sneak in there. I don't think, and yeah. I think losing Jay Crowder actually hurts them as well. Because he'd been playing since Winslow minutes just, for them. Who knows? He's got every version of injury. Oh, look, Winslow's, Winslow's yeah. got a back injury at the moment. I wouldn't be counting on him to produce anything this year. And so you've got the Pels who are, they are five and a half back from the Memphis. They are 21 and 31. Jesus. And they have to leapfrog the Spurs and the, and the Blazers to get in the Grizz. And so what do you, have you seen Zion play? I have. What have you, what have well, you seen when he's seen not play? Heaven forbid, Daz, when he gets healthy, when he gets really in game shape. He's not in game condition yet. Um, and there was a couple of plays in the Bucks game where he sort of had to lay up balls, and I think in a month's time he's dunking that ball. Um, and he actually got on a... You probably saw it where he was on a one-on-one with Giannis. And I thought, you know what, let's see that again in a month's time because he sort of had to try and lay it up. Um, and I thought, give him a month and he'll try and dunk that, and I'll guarantee Giannis will still try and block yeah. it. So it was a nice little matchup there, but certainly yeah, Milwaukee had his had his measure. Um, he shot the three ball well. He had the, obviously the four for four against the Spurs in that first game that he had. Um, so he shot the three ball okay at times. Um, but what's impressed me is his court vision, does. And the fact that they're using him in the high post at times, and he has—that's a good point. He yeah. has some nice vision. I didn't expect to see the sort of passing straight away that we're seeing from him, and it's just a team that fits. Um, you know, I'm not sure. Brandon Who Ingram, favors they, that's a really good, actually, good combo. I like that. Him and did you? Yeah, yeah, him and favors. Yeah, and, yeah, and yeah. It, it, it was interesting. I saw them in the first half. Um, of the game against Memphis, and him and Ingram looked really, really good together on the court. And then the second half, they looked like they'd never played together before, and it all sort of fell apart with Ingram sort of playing some ISO ball. But at the end of the day, um, 
uh, and when Ingram went off the court, uh, you know, New Orleans actually ran Memphis off the court, which is that's saying something. I mean, given the way Memphis have been playing this season, um, but. I think once they're playing more and more together, yeah, particularly if they can keep Ingram on this roster, who's actually showed some good signs this year, it's I like the team that they've put around him. It's just a team that makes sense as you watch it. And as he gets better and better, if they can get within two or three games, Daz, by that All-Star break and then with Giannis, sorry, with, with Zion, or the All-Star break's too close away, but they're not going to get that close. But just after the All-Star break, and then if Zion gets his sea legs really under him, I think well, look, this team could make a run. Just, I mean, they need to get hot. They need to go like 20 and 10 right, to finish 500, right? So they need to go right to be 42 and 40. They go to kind of 20 and 10, right? It's a 666 clip, right? So that's that's hot. That's winning two out of three every night for a couple of months, which is not not inconceivable. What I saw, so I saw him twice. I saw him Bucks, and I saw, I forget which other one. I've only seen two whole games of them, but what I see is the, his head is spinning, Daz. Like, there's actually quite a lot of, he, he is on pure physical ability and pure instinct at the moment. He has fought, holy shit, the, the dribble handoffs are clunky, the pocket passes are clunky, the... Right, the, the help defense is non-existent. It is a, it just a, it, it's very clunky. Right, is a, he's there and not playing like a team. So you can see a year from now, holy shit! Right, with a year of coaching, a year of off season, a year of system installation, you know, a year of practice, you can a year of repetitions, you can see that that the potential is is re, it's remarkable. But so that's what I see. Is you're right. He's probably not doesn't. Definitely doesn't have his game lungs yet, but I also see his head is on civil. Like, he just doesn't how – could, how could you, right? He's played, what, 15 games at Duke, and now this? Like, he hasn't played basketball, and he's 20 points a game. He doesn't know, doesn't know what he's doing. That's for me, is the scary sign. He has no idea what he's doing, and he's scoring 20 points a game at the end level. So, um so I, I know the answer to the question, but you were just talking about young cores. You'd you'd rather have Ingram and Zion than Jaw and Triple J, right? Or would you actually take Jaw and Jaron Jackson? Uh, forget I'd everything take, else. Forget, yeah, I mean, forget it, the rosters and assets and coaches. If you're just talking two players, I'd give me Zion and, and Ingram. But if you look at the – you're throwing Brandon Clark, Dylan Brooks, Justice Winslow. Oh, right. Now okay. I think Memphis are a different – kettle of fish um, than what than what uh, New Orleans are. And Jackson Hayes and Nikhil Walker, Alexander Gilgis doesn't excite you. Yeah, and Nikhil Walker, yeah. Yeah, that's right. So, I mean, I'm just having yeah. a look at this New Orleans schedule. It's not a, it's not a murderer's row um, coming up in the next sort of um, you know, five, six, seven games. Um, so if they there, there is an opportunity, I think, there for them to go on a bit of a run still. But uh, I think that, that, that eight seed, anyway, is a race in three between them, Memphis, and yeah. Portland to me. Yeah. Um, and yeah. I, yeah, I, I guess Phoenix could make a run. I haven't looked at their schedule, but I... I, I no, do. they will not. It doesn't matter. Don't look at the schedule. Don't look at their roster. They, they will not. It, I really it's it's, it's the Knicks of the West, buddy. Yeah. yeah don't. So, look, They're last not. thing, let's talk about the Andrew Wiggins trade. Does uh, Angelo Russell, I mean, we can we can talk about the 
Drummond going to Cleveland at another time. I know a big fan of ours is happy for Cleveland to be you know, fighting out, trying to get that 14 seed in the, in the Eastern <laughs> Conference. Congratulations for that. Um, but Wiggins to go and stay. I mean, is this is this what Andrew Wiggins needs? This is where it's going to fall into place. I mean, I actually I'll give you my take on it first quickly. I I like the move. I like the move for Golden State simply really? because right. Well, I think it's a I think he's Not a good. better better fit than what Russell is. Um, obviously, positionally, they knew the three when next year's team comes back. So now you're looking at. A, a starting five of Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, uh, Andrew Wiggins, Draymond Green, and Kevon Looney, right? And then obviously you're filling out the team with pretty much minimum guys across the rest of the roster. But if they can keep that five-man unit healthy and get some sort of help off the bench, I still I, I like this team in in the sense that I think Wiggins is still a little bit better than what. Harrison Barnes was when Barnes was on the team. I think he's a better fit with this team, even if he's not a better player than D'Angelo Russell, necessarily. And I, I think a lot of what he was asked to do in Minnesota was on the ball. And I think what he, a lot of what he's going to be asked to do in Golden State is going to be off the ball. So I think it is going to be a different job description, if you like. So that's where yeah. I get some hope that maybe he's going to be a different player and, and a more valuable player, if you like, um, for Golden State, given what his job description's going to be than what they've expected him to do in Minnesota. And hopefully the penny will finally drop and we'll see him play some decent defence because he's certainly got the tools to play decent defence. He's just never really done it on a consistent level. So I, I've got some some hope. I think that, that this could work out for Golden State. And and given the, the options that they had when they knew Kevin Durant was leaving, um, I still think it's a reasonable... Because, you know, you look at that Wiggins contract in a vacuum and you go, that's, a, that's an albatross contract. But at the end of the day, if Kevin Durant walks for nothing, Golden State can't do anything with that cap space or that contract space that Kevin Durant had, if you know what I mean. So... Why not just take on a guy that's on a bad contract but can still be a positive for you on the court? It'd be the way I look at it because they're obviously not too worried about losing money from a luxury tax point of view. No, but I think it's factored in. And So do you think they will win fewer or more games this year with Wiggins versus Russell or is it a wash? This does he help year? them tank? No, yeah, I does think... Does he help them tank? Yeah. I think they're worse this year with Wiggins than Russell. Because I, this year's I, team, I agree too. Yeah, because yeah. this year's team lent on Russell more, but I'm talking about next year's team. I think I think Wiggins is more valuable to next year's team than Russell would have been, simply from a fit point of view, and that's assuming that, that Curry and Thompson um, come back and, and Looney come back fully healthy and you're getting a significant amount of games out of them. Um, so I think it yeah. helps their tank this year, yeah. um, and but I also think it helps them next year um, because you've just... But, but it's going to be too... Is, it, is Andrew Wiggins going to accept the, whatever role they're going to give him, that Harrison Barnes-type role, really? Um, is he going to accept that next year? And this is a guy that sort of hasn't been willing to accept any sort of roles <laughs> that Minnesota's given him. Um, he has improved a little bit this year, but, geez, it, I mean, they've still been a massive disappointment, Minnesota. Yeah. So, so my question without notice, is Golden State win-loss record uh, this is going to put your your point, your perspective, your, your point in perspective. Are they better 
with Alec Burks and um, Glenn Robinson or with Andrew Wiggins. So will, he, will Andrew Wiggins make up more than what they lost with Burks and Robinson, or will he be less than Burks and Robinson? Burks and uh, Robinson combined for 30 points a game. Granted, they play a combined 60 yeah, minutes, yeah. so that's not exactly fair. But uh, that's not very fair. Burks and Robinson on min contracts, or Andrew Wiggins for 35 minutes. Well, you can't year. look at it like that, though. That's, you, you can't because Golden State are operating in a different sphere than everyone else. So I don't, I don't even worry about that. This is the one team that could get Wiggins and not worry about the contract. That's that's the good thing about it. So from my point of view, I look at um, I look at Wiggins and think I'm not worried so about the contract. I, I, think, and I like the I fit. think this I think this deal was all about this is the path they're on. How do we make the best of this path? I think the path they got themselves on. To your point was I think it was astute to try and get Russell as part of the sign-and-trade with Kevin Durant. I think we all agree Russell was overpaid, Mm. right? Was he a max player? Absolutely not. But it's still an asset as proved by the point he actually just got traded. So the way that Blake got moved 18 months ago, or two years ago, two years ago now? Yeah, two two years. It was just a year ago. Two years ago. I forget. Same way we thought Max player Blake was unmovable. Max player um, D. Russell was definitely, <laughs> definitely movable. Look, I believe as well, they, they got a top three protected 21 draft pick, which is by, again, what we hear is the 2020 draft is going to be pretty shit, but the 21 draft could be mm-hmm. really good. So they got, again, the Minnesota Timberwolf Vikings pick. Right, which is top three protected. Well, it could be a so top five could, pick. We've had there. They could get the number four pick. Mm. That's exactly right. A really significant, significantly valuable lottery pick to either keep and right, kind of be part of the, you know, the the future. Or what a valuable, valuable trade ship, you know, while with Steph and Draymond are kind of thirty two, thirty three, and making one last push if they needed to get themselves a. You know, if Steph's 100% and Clay's 100%, that is an unbelievably valuable pick, potentially. Very valuable pick. Well, so they've got two high I, picks the next two years now because they're going to be well, they're picking have, top, top, probably top three to five, but certainly top five next year. Even in a weak draft, that's still going to be a decent player, um, hmm. you would think. And then I think, I can't see how Minnesota are going to be anything other than a train wreck again next year, even with Russell there now. So, you know, I think I think they're going to be potentially a top five team again next year. Oh, sorry, a top five pick again next year. Minnesota, um, that's where I go. That's where I thought where you're going to go. So Wiggins and Golden State. Um, they knew they were losing Durant. They made something of it. They crazily overpaid D'Lo, but they got something for it. So I, I like it. <laughs> I hate Wiggins' contract. I, that is, I think it's still one of the worst contracts in the NBA. It's not John Wall, but it's it's an awful. It's a bottom five, bottom definitely bottom ten, def, probably a bottom five contract in the league. So it's a bottom five contract. But they got this twenty one pick from Minnesota, super valuable, right? Plus, I also will buy the fact that you just make Andrew Wiggins your fifth best player, he'll be fine, right? He'll yeah. be quiet. He'll try a little bit. He won't try a little bit. He'll be good some days. He won't be good some days. Doesn't matter because you've got three Hall of Famers running around him. 
So uh, from Golden State's perspective, that's fine. Minnesota, Daz, if the clock isn't ticking now on if Carl Anthony Towns isn't the next Anthony Davis, I don't, I don't know. Uh, I, I don't know if there's a more obvious situation. I mean, does D'Angelo Russell save Carl Anthony Towns? Like, what? What is okay, this? Okay, but let me put this this way: Is Carl Anthony Towns no. that good? Excuse me. Is he is Carl Anthony Towns that good? <laughs> That's a great question. I don't think well, he's that good. Is he Kevin Love two point Like put up all these stats, but can well is so... he even Kevin Love? Like Minnesota made a run at five hundred when Love and Rubio were there. This guy's never done anything other than when Jimmy Butler Jeez. carried him to the the playoffs. Oh man. Yeah, like they've well, been a train wreck of a team. And um, this guy does not play any defense uh, at all. Totally allergic to that, that side of the ball. Yes, he puts up offensive numbers. Congratulations. You know how many different players put up offensive numbers now? I mean, he's, he's Zach Levine does of centers. That's what he is. I think Zach Levine must have given him some tips on how to play on the offensive end when he was in Minnesota. Because at the beginning of the eighteen, at the beginning of the eighteen nineteen season, right? I think it was the survey every year. GMs were polled, which player, right, under the age twenty five, would you take to start your franchise with? And he was number one. He beat out Giannis. Luke was in the league, right? So you go. There is a he is a, a, a uniquely talented. Right, offensive players. So the the same criticisms you make of Carlton Towns, I could make of Jokic, to slightly lesser extent, but a similar extent, of an inability to move laterally, help play help defense, protect the rim, etc. But Jokic is uniquely talented in his ability, obviously, to pass, facilitate, and just be a, a, a pure artisan. Carlton Towns is he's shooting forty one percent. <laughs> on eight attempts a game yeah, yeah, I, from downtown. I'm not impressed. Not impressed. I don't care. I don't care he's what he sh- shoots from three. Sh- I don't care how many no. points he scores a game. I don't care how many rebounds. Really? You know what I care about? Show me the win-loss. You've been the years in the league enough years now. Play on a winning team. Play winning. Contribute to winning. Once in your career, contribute to winning. I don't care. The, the, the stats do nothing for me. Absolutely nothing. So I'm, Look, I'll, I'm a little I'll, bit sick and tired of hearing the Carl Anthony Towns, poor Carl Anthony Towns, when the guy's been on a team that can't crack 30 wins multiple years of his career, and apparently it's everyone else's fault, not his. So is he the case where he's just going to be a better, uh, a, a, a second fiddle than he will alpha dog? Is that it? He just He loves his Nintendo and Fortnite and... Well, I think he's just, too good on the offensive end for the second fiddle. But if you if you literally just if, if as a centre you're just going to refuse to play defence, it just craters the whole team. Like it's the one position where you just can't sit there and say I'm I'm not going to bother on that end of the ball. You know, I, I mean, I, I think Harden's a better defensive player than he is. At least Harden will have a go down the post. This guy's just totally uninterested. Well, then what we have then is probably even worse than I thought. Cause I, I thought, well, what I think is that this is a team that was the, 
I go, how does Gerson Rojas, right? This guy who was getting a lot of credit for, not credit, but, you know, we thought take the, this guy's going to bring a sense of a new culture, a new stability to a franchise who just endured fucking the, you know, the abomination of Tom Bell and the, you know, the, the Jimmy Butler situation, which came not shortly after the Kevin Love situation, right? Which came not shortly after the Kevin Garnett situation. So I'm going to go, Gerson Rojas is meant to be the person to bring a stability to this franchise who just can't fucking help itself from but imploding. And it looks like, right, this looks like a desperation move to me, right? To give up an extremely valuable, the, t- the team should be in fucking full rebuild. Should be in full fucking rebuild. And you're giving away basically lottery picks in 21 to get a guy. How much defense does D'Angelo Russell play? Oh, so I hear you. About, yeah, I was going to say this would be a bottom five fence. Tell me how that team with who's their? I don't even know who their team is. They've given rid of. They got rid of T. Got rid of Covington. What Malik Beasley? Is that the Denver guy they got? Did yep. they get Malik Beasley? Malik how much Beasley. defense does Malik Beasley play? Right. Like, oh, why don't they just sign Jimmer Fredette and uh, <laughs> you know Wally Zerbiak and let's just go? <laughs> let's just run it out. So I, I think this is a, my point was I thought Gerson Rojas was this, you know, Daryl Morey, um, you know, prototype can bring and licks and patience and finding value at every sort of transaction. And I'm sniffing around and going, this looks like a desperation, desperation move. If well, not, it's trying to keep Carl Anthony Towns happy. I mean, that, that seems to be the, the main thrust behind it. Um, we're trying to uh, bring Carl yeah. Anthony Towns wants to play within but uh, and if Carl Anthony Towers wants to leave, well, that's he's going to be out of a job anyway. So yeah, um, that's, so I think, keep him happy by having no on court talent, selling off Covington, selling off Teague, and now you've sold off your most valuable future draft pick. But, yeah. but they better hit they better hit the grandest home run in the 2020 draft, right? So they're going to get a high pick. What's Minnesota? Well, they could be in the top three in 2021. They could be top three 24. <laughs> That's the mm. thing. Good point. That I would say that this is a this is a team that certainly could be the one of the three worst teams in the league next year. Um, mm. And I mean, look, and that's the the final point I can't think, Tans. I mean, if, if this is a bottom three team again next year, how can people honestly sit there with a straight face and say this guy's a superstar player? No, like, you just because you're right. You put you switch him and Giannis, and this team is five. Switch him and Luca. Put Luca Doncic mm. on this team. And see how mm-hmm. they go. You mm-hmm. know, that that's a star player. You know, Carl Anthony Towns, no, I'm sorry. I'm I'm not buying it. He's a shooter. Yeah, that's it. That's fair. That's fair. So That's fair. So in, in summary, um, crazy, crazy, crazy double down, triple down by Houston going super small. Um, high risk. Not even high risk. Get rid of all their draft picks. I think Maury's on, it's kind of all or nothing. He's got a 10%. Eight percent chance to win the title, and he's he's going for it. I love. We didn't talk about. I actually love the Capella fit in Atlanta, right? With that pick and roll now, with with Collins can do some more pick and pop. I like. I love Capella in the Hawks. Now I don't know if that team is trying to get they've got their timeline right and and doing this sort of stuff, filling up their salary cap with with a player like Capella. But I think he fits. 
Well, he's not. He's not. He's pretty reasonably paid. I mean, he's only paid fourteen million. I think he goes up to sort of fifteen million. So it's eighteen not, or something. Yeah, yeah at, at the top end. So I'll be interested to see what they do with John Collins if they do feel like Capella and Collins can play together, or whether they move uh, Collins on. Uh, in the off-season themselves. So I think that's going to be an interesting question. And I just think, look, they've they've got to improve that defence a little bit, which Capella will certainly do. And it just gives them a path, to, a quicker path, I think, to competitiveness um, in the Eastern Conference than what they were looking at. Um, so I agree. I, I really like that move for Atlanta. Um to bring uh, to bring Capella in, and I think you know Deadman's an interesting sort of guy to bring off the bench yeah. as well because it's a different type of player. Um, he can sort of rim run a little bit as well, but obviously has the three point potential also, um, which they know how to use given the years that he already had in Atlanta. So uh, I, th- I like I like the move, and I think next year is going to be the next sort of two years. I expect this team to be pushing up towards the playoffs in uh, what's still going to be a pretty poor Eastern Conference, um, be, uh, barring some sort of miracle in the draft. So my last question for you, and then we can you can wrap whenever you want. Was I go? What the fuck are the Nuggets doing getting rid of Malik Beasley and Juancho Hernan Gomez to get Gerald Green, who's injured, and Keita Beats Diop, who sucks, and Shabazz Napier? And well, they already got rid of Napier. They bought in McRae from Washington. So. Oh, that's right. Noah Vonley, who can't play. And, oh, they got the Rockets 2020 first rounder, which is about the 26th pick. Like, what are they doing? Yeah, I think they, well, I just think Beasley wasn't it was surplus to requirements. They thought we can pick up a, um, and and they're going to have to pay him because he was coming up for for a contract as well. Um, so it was just pick up a, a a first round pick for a guy that's probably a bit surplus to requirements. I mean, the good story for them has been um, Michael Porter Jr. has has looked good. Uh, for they're not trying year. to win it this year, are they? They're thinking next year. No, I don't year. think so. I think they're they're playing the long game. Um, the the yeah. big worry for them is Jamal Murray's play this year. That's where I'm looking at them going. Total oh plateaued. Yeah, yep. that's that's a contract that they would have buyer's remorse on um, at this point. So uh, that that'd mm. be the worry for me, and that's where I thought maybe they might have gone out and, and looked. Um, and I, I actually thought Chabaz maybe might have been a nice player for them to if, if Jamal Murray doesn't have it going, let's go with Shabazz Napier in, in spot minutes in the playoffs because that's how bad Murray is, Daz. I mean, when he's on, he's fantastic, but when he's off, you really you need to see him on the pine um, because he just doesn't bring anything to the table. So uh, that's that's the real worry for them, and that's a max contract that they've got, so they've well, sort of locked a, into a, that. Yeah, really. he's kind of like a nothing. He's not a great defender. He's a... 43, 33, right? He shoots 90% from the free throw line, but he only gets to the line three points three times a game. He doesn't get to the line. He doesn't have any assists. Now, granted, I know, you know, Joker has the ball in his hands a lot, and he doesn't hit three points. What does he actually do? Well, he's a similar player to Zach Levine, in my view. I mean, he's just a streak shooter. Floats, streaky, but he's actually more of a mid-rangey guy. He doesn't really, what's he take? I'm looking at the stats now. How many three-point... Five, he takes five three-pointers a game. And he takes ten two-pointers, and it's 43%. So he's like... Yeah, and he doesn't draw fouls. So he's kind of like... Well, he doesn't motor. get to the rim. Doesn't, and, doesn't and that's where, I mean, Levine's got... Levine might even be better. But um, I just, I just yeah. sort of was thinking more in terms of the... Yeah. Levine's one of those players that can really get, get hot and get streaky. Um, and that's what 
Jamal Murray can do. Yeah, but, see, you know, yeah. um, they're both the same too in the fact that if they're not in any shots, you can't have them on the court because they don't bring anything else to the table. So um, that's that's the worry I, I have for them. Um, I was just surprised to see them kind of do this almost half-step backwards kind of moves where they decided that Beasley and Gomez, Juan and Gomez aren't going to be worth paying them. I think they're both RFAs in the off-seasons. They're like, yeah, we're going to... You know, our eighth and ninth guys, or whatever, seventh and eighth, are going to be worse this year, and we'll pick up a you know a first rounder, you know, next year. I just it just it was a weird. Well, they're genuinely so good in the draft. I think that they can make make the best out of a you know a twenty oh, twenty five twenty six pick yeah. as well. Um, yeah. You know, and and I haven't read anything about Bol Bol, but no, they're they're working hard with him. So if they can get yeah, him on the court yeah. in the next couple of years as well and get something yeah. out of him. So, um, so I think they're, they're definitely looking for the future, but that they'll get some more playoff reps into them this year. But uh, as I keep saying, I think I think the Murray contract's the big question mark for them at the moment. Because um, he got max sure. extended, didn't he? Yeah, they extended him before the season even started. That's one of those Jesus ones where you Christ, could use. Nice Wiggins, the way he played, um, I don't think he'd be looking at that sort of a contract at the moment. So, yeah, um, is, right. that's, and, and that's probably untradeable as well so that's that's the real real, real worry for them so all right Daz. well look we might leave it there mate we'll uh, we'll try and get a bit more regular now um as we approach sort of all-star break and then uh, leading into the playoffs um at some stage no doubt we'll have to have a retrospective about 20 years of success for the san antonio spurs it's come to an end this year Daz. we know you're very <laughs> <laughs> In memoriam, you're yeah. very upset about, but uh, hey, well, you know, it's I'm, yeah. As long as you don't mention Rob Ory, I can, I'm fine, right? Because I, I, I mean, it's it's impossible, Daz. I'm a Bucks fan. It's impossible to ignore the similarity between what Bud, what Bud is, and how he builds a team, and how his entire his entire philosophy of the concept of basketball. It just feels so Spursian, right? From the ten-man rotations and fourteen-man deep rosters and the minutes limit and just to keep everything, you know, kind of downplayed. It's just, it's just reeks, right? It just reeks of, you know, of Pop Junior. So, well, he was there for seventeen years with Pop. I didn't realize. I didn't long. realize. That. I thought it was. I didn't realize it was that long. So, yeah, to say he's. His entire well, he was there profession. when Larry Brown was there. That's how long he, he was. He goes back that's right. To the Spurs. So, um, that's right. So not Him surprising. and Gentry were there. Larry Brown. Yep, that's right. Everyone been through there. So, um, so yeah. So I'm not, I'm not celebrating the Spurs demise, but uh, but yeah, I think you might have yourself a low light reel of <laughs> of crunch time collapses, which would be almost a. You can set it to you know. Um, the music to the Three Stooges or Benny Hill or something is they this been well then they're ten and eighteen does they're ten and eighteen in crunch time games <laughs> after blowing yeah. it up one today <laughs> uh, and as I said the OK are twenty one and ten so they're the best crunch time team in the league and the yeah. Spurs are the worst yeah. I mean on, on the high volume games obviously you know teams like uh, Phoenix aren't involved that's in crunch the last let's maybe have the last word less not of a not a want want about Denver but I, I think it was more I was so hoping that there was a 10% chance Oklahoma City would be buyers to say, you know what, fuck this. we got 800 future draft picks. <laughs> this is, do like, you know, Major League, you know, they've got, you know, you know Vaughn and all these crazy players that are going to only be there for one year. Like, let's win the whole fucking thing, you know. Just <laughs> go add themselves a player and say, fuck this. Let's go, 
let's go disrupt the playoffs. But um, they stayed, they stood still. Unfortunately, I was hoping they'd go get someone um, that could, you know, d- defend the wing to play the Roberson role or something. But uh, anyway, that's been my all year long has been my um, my secret league pass league pass darling is it's not they're not the most dynamic. They don't play with the most pace, but there's something. I just love smart basketball. Yeah, love how they play. Well, love that's shape. the thing. Paul's been a yeah. joy to watch this year. I mean, oh, he's he just, has. Just and a, I'll tell you who's played some really nice basketball has been Dennis Schroeder. Oh, he's been <laughs> shockingly <laughs> popular to me. You're kidding. So you're like you know you're like uh, Lou Williams. Who he's like the. I thought he would have driven Chris Paul mad. I thought Chris Paul no. would want, be one of the trade oh, this don't guy share the court. <laughs> in November. <laughs> But, uh, well, they share the court. I mean, and at times, oh, you know, Chris Paul's happy to let Truda have the ball. Until he, he he has a very short leash, though, I must admit. If he makes one bad play, Chris has got the ball. <laughs> Schroeder's over on the bench or standing over yeah. in the corner for the next few plays. But uh, Yeah, look, I, I think if you ever wanted to torture a fan base, you'd put Schroeder and Eric Bledsoe on the same team <laughs> and, and let, let them go at it. You know, maybe bring Rogier off the bench. You know? <laughs> Yeah, it's all the same cut from the same mold. But you're right. He's I've actually seen Schroeder go fucking white hot in some games at the end where he just can't miss. You know, at you know at all three levels. That's the funny thing about Schroeder is he can get to the rim, he can pull up, and he can actually shoot a three every now and again. So he's he's got these moments, doesn't he? He's this electric, crazy, yeah, crazy player. So there we go. We'll end on a high note. Good on you, OKC. Still my my darling team of the year. You know, in terms of exceeding expectations, you know, with respect to, you know, to the Memphis Grizzlies, and uh, yeah, well, well, as know. I said to you today, please let's have LA OKC first round, and I will be riding that OKC team. Oh my to God! Victory, could, yeah, like this so no tomorrow. So and then. And then Houston, LAC in the second round. The Clippers are absolutely no. Actually, no. okay, yeah, okay. So Houston, let let's see. Okay, so knock That's off LAC, it. then play That's Houston. That's right. One play Russ, Russ there, and then Houston, LAC. That's exactly. Right. Oh, it. All right, All mate. Right, buddy. Good to talk to you again. Have a good, good weekend. We'll try and uh, do it again next Friday. All right, episode one forty two. Okay. Next week. See you, buddy.